Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Hello, and thank you for joining us for ASHP's Practice Journeys podcast. This podcast invites members to share their stories about their professional path, lessons learned, and how their experiences shaped who and where they are today. My name is Daniel Koba. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of AJHP and the Vice President of Publishing at ASHP, and I'll be your host today. Again this year, as a celebration of pride, we'll host three podcasts with LGBTQ leaders in pharmacy. With me today is Liv Swanger, a P4 student at Idaho State University College of Pharmacy. Liv, welcome. Hello, Daniel. Very glad to be here today. It's great to have you and looking forward to a good conversation. So Liv, you're starting your P4 year at Idaho State, but tell us more about your youth. Where'd you grow up? Yeah, so I grew up, it was a little bit of a mix. It was in between um, Arkansas and Alaska. I spent most of my younger years, my adolescence in Arkansas. Once the dust settled in my youth, I moved up to Alaska in 2012, where I have kind of rooted myself both uh, professionally and personally. So you're in Alaska today, even though you're an Idaho State student, you're in Alaska today, right? Yes. So I am a student at the satellite campus from Idaho State University. It's the UAA ISU Doctor of Pharmacy program, and it's a by Alaskans for Alaskans program. And I've really enjoyed learning in the healthcare systems that I want to work in in the future. You said when the dust settled. What did you mean by that? So I had a lot of adversities in my youth regarding my sexual orientation. And even though I would say I had a good childhood, it was a lot to navigate as a person who wasn't fully out. How do you identify? So I identify as bisexual with a androgynous expression, and I do identify with the word queer. Got it. Okay. I interrupted you. You were talking about your journey, but I just wanted to check in on how you identify. Yes, I think queer is a very versatile and resilient word with our community. And even though everyone may not identify with it, I feel like it is really encompassing of who I am with my sexual orientation and my gender expression. You know, it's it's interesting, Liv, to hear you say that because I'm clearly of a different generation. And in my generation, queer was actually you know, a, a pejorative and probably much worse than a pejorative, a slur in many ways. So it's just to me interesting how the word has really come around. And I think it's fair to say it may not be generational, although I think it is, that there's really been this embracing of the word where for some of us of a certain age, it still stings a bit. But I, I find that really interesting. Yes, and I think it is maybe kind of an umbrella word for our community, even though all may not identify with it. But for me, I do feel like it is very encompassing of who I am and my identity. So we were talking about the dust settling and you were talking about some of the adverse circumstances that you experienced. So let's go back to that. Yeah, so it was a little bit, like I said, it was a little hard for me to navigate because I was in Arkansas, which 
does have a little bit more conservative views. And if you weren't heterosexual or if you had any deviation from gender norms, then it was objectionable. And so it took me a while to really grow and understand who I was authentically. And it really wasn't until I was in Alaska that I feel that that happened. Got it. Got it. Now, where'd you do your undergraduate? Yeah, so my undergraduate was primarily at the University of Alaska Anchorage. It took me nine years to get my undergraduate, which is fine. I took the scenic route. I was also a certified EMT. And pharmacy didn't come to me very easily, even though I do have uh, my mother and grandfather are both pharmacists. Hmm. (laughs) It didn't come to me very easy. But my undergraduate was at the University of Alaska Anchorage. And then after graduating with my natural sciences degree for pre-health professions, I entered in the pharmacy program in 2019. But you did some other work, though, in healthcare before. Aside from your work as an EMT, I mean, you spent a fair number of years working in a dialysis setting, correct? Yes, I did. Yes. And I absolutely loved being a dialysis technician. It was very uh, rewarding to me. It was my first long-term job in healthcare. I worked, once again, I worked there all throughout my undergraduate and paid my semesters off as I went. So I worked there for nine years, but it really gave me a space to learn and develop as an incoming healthcare provider and being able to learn my patients. We have a huge diverse group of people up here in Alaska, Filipino, Samoan, Tongan, Chinese, and other Asian descents. And being able to be exposed to all of these different cultures and people, it was really rewarding. And I innately had to have an open mind to best treat these patients and um, you know what they wanted in their treatments and how I was able to accommodate that as a dialysis technician. You know, Liv, I can really relate to that. And when I first started college, even before I started pharmacy school, and I did a BS program before my PharmD, I worked in a rehabilitation hospital for several years as a patient care technician. And so it was providing hands-on patient care. And what I've come to believe over time is that that really helped me adapt to my role as a pharmacist in a clinical setting because I I had touched people before. I wasn't afraid of the true patient care aspects. And I don't know if you had a similar, if you've had a similar experience or not. And again, your role as an EMT as well would certainly come in there. Yeah, and I feel that a lot of, you know, what I do and the healthcare provider I am, a lot of the times I see that through the lens of an emergency medicine view just because I was introduced to healthcare through firstly getting my EMT certification. So it's been really valuable to me and that has played a long-term role in what I want to do with my pharmacy degree. So I would like to specialize in as an emergency medicine pharmacist. And, you know, outside of the emergency room being ground zero for diversity, I really enjoy helping people in in vulnerable situations and advocating for patients, especially in the times when it can be the most uncomfortable. Why do you say the ED is ground zero for diversity? 
I just feel that there, if you look at the social determinants of health of a lot of our minorities, they carry a lot of the morbidity and mortality in our country. And I feel that being a promoter of diversity and being an inclusive care provider, I just feel that that is a great place to do it. And it's really nice because that's where my passion is. And so I feel what I want to do and who I am really can be an investment for those patients in that setting. Got it. Got it. Okay. We talked about your youth a bit, but I didn't ask you that classic question that we all get asked and sometimes it gets a little grating to be asked. When did you know? When did you realize that uh, you were bisexual? Through my youth, it was always there and it was kind of always underlying. And I would come out to certain people that I felt was safe, but it wasn't really until I was in Alaska and where I was in a safer environment that I really came out to everyone. This was, I came out to my family. I came out to people in schools, in my schooling, really just any setting where it was kind of pertinent to talk about. I was more comfortable talking about it, but it wasn't until I married my wife, Leslie, that I was 100% in a safe environment, regardless of where I was at. And even if I had adversities, I always had her to rely on to be vulnerable, be able to talk about it. And knowing at the end of the day, everything else was okay. So it's been a journey. It's been a process, but it's been overall a good one for me. And I feel very privileged to say that because I know that's not the experience of everyone. You talk about the privilege, but I'm wondering whether you have ever been confronted with anybody questioning you about the use of the identifier bisexual. I think there are some biases out there about bisexuality. And I'm just, I'm wondering, have you been confronted with that? I really appreciate the APA's definition of bisexuality as they include it of by being bisexual as having attraction to more than two genders, to two or more, which I mostly identify with. And I think it really opens up the definition in such a way that it breaks down this radical gender binary that we have, and it makes it a more inclusive space. So even if you do have an attraction to male, female, it can go, the definition does go beyond that. And that's something that I really appreciate being bisexual. It really is sort of an advance in thinking over time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when we first met, I was speaking uh, virtually, I should say, at the Alaska meeting back in January. And you uh, were kind enough to, during the Q&A period, come onto the mic and thank me for hosting ASHP's Pride podcast. And it seems like the podcasts have been especially important to you. Why was that? Yes. So whenever you first started talking at the Alaska Pharmacist Association Conference, I did remember you as being the host of the podcasts and those podcasts were really influential for me after my first year of pharmacy school. That was really where I started to develop professionally 
And, you know, listening to Alexander Gilmer and his experiences as a transgender person, both as a patient and as a provider, and Lindsay Kelly commenting about being a lesbian in pharmacy. I mean, these podcasts were really monumental for me just because as a queer identifying person entering into the profession, it's sometimes hard to think that you are not the first one treading this path if you don't see other professionals like you in those successful positions. And so for me, you know, when I first heard that podcast, I was like, whoa, a lesbian in pharmacy, that's awesome. And so (laughs) for me, it was just, oh, it was so revitalizing. And being able to know I wasn't the first one that treaded this path and that I can be queer and successful in pharmacy. And I really feel that those podcasts gave me a sense of mentorship, not in the sense of like traditional, the one-on-one kind of in-person philosophy of it, but rather listening to their experiences and gaining their wisdom and perspective from being pharmacists and being part of the queer community. I mean, it was really revitalizing for me and I feel influential in how I went through you know, my academic career as a student pharmacist being LGBTQ. Is there a formal network for LGBTQ people at your school? There is not. Informal? No. Okay. It really does, again, provide insights into why the podcasts have been so important to you or were so important to you, I should say. Despite the fact that there's not a formal or informal network at your school, you've been really active in your student organization and have still advanced and advocated for LGBTQ people or students. Talk about that. So I don't feel that this day and age, it's enough to be neutral. And I, for one, am very confident in who I am. And I feel comfortable enough to advocate. And I am or was previously president-elect and president for the APHA ASP chapter on our campus. And whenever I first got this position, one of my duties was to review the bylaws. And what I noticed is that there was a non-discrimination clause in our bylaws. However, it did not say anything about being not discriminative towards those who had based on their gender expression or sexual orientation. And so for me, I thought to myself, I was like, they could theoretically kick me out of this position with no qualms because there was nothing to protect me necessarily. And so I don't think it's enough in this day and age to be neutral, which is why I made the nomination, if you will, and ended up getting that adjusted in the bylaws to include protections for sexual orientation, gender expression, and other diverse experiences for our organizations. I think it's really important to be an advocate, even if, so for like for me example, I don't identify as transgender. However, I fully hone in on being an ally for that group, just because I know that they need that representation because they are a minority and there might not be transgender representation in all spaces. How was your advocacy for those bylaws changes? How was it received? Was it a a light lift or a heavy lift? I think that there was a lot of education that had to go in it. And along the way, 
And it did ended up passing. It passed, uh, you know, the executive board of the student group, but it also passed from an all member vote, which was a very good day. <laughs> so among other bylaw changes, but it was really important to me just because I feel like the work I'm doing here is important at a grander scale for what I'm going to be doing as a farm dean. And more specifically, you know, I had a situation where I also had to, as an ally, correct a transphobic comment, you know, that was made in class. And I don't believe that it was ill-intentioned, but had a transgender person been in that room, it would have been very uh, harmful and deleterious. And so I made and what I call a gracious disruption in the class. And I followed that up later. Once again, it was rather just education and understanding how what could be thought of as semantics is actually a really big deal and can be harmful to the LGBTQ community, more specifically transgender people. So that person got it that what they said, they may have just been thinking about it as a semantic issue, but right they were responsive i think so yeah you mentioned leslie a little bit ago you you were married a few years back right tell us about her how'd you meet yeah so leslie is is my wife and she has really been my rock my sidekick my confidant my best friend she has created a safe space for me to be authentically who I am. And it really, I think, wasn't until, you know, our marriage that, you know, I could come home to a safe space every night and be okay. And we met early 2015 at an event. It was called Chrome and Ink. I used to ride motorcycles and she is a tattoo artist. And so we met at this event, which was just kind of a conglomeration of people who were tattoo and motorcycle enthusiasts. And when I first met her, I was just, it was like a magnet. And I was like, this is my person. We ended up meeting and and swapping phone numbers. And we ended up getting married the summer before I started pharmacy school. What year was that? Just to sort of put things in context a bit. Yeah. So we got married in June of 2019. And then I started pharmacy school that August. So Liv, What advice would you give to another LGBTQ pharmacy student if they, you know, sought your counsel today? Yeah, so I think it is in alignment with what you'll hear a lot of LGBTQ mentors say and what you have heard a lot on previous podcasts, but the true value of being genuinely and authentically yourself and That might be kind of like an over cliche notion, but it is so valuable. And I think for me, it has really been honing in on my support system. You know, like I said, I have a strong support system, you know, at home and professionally. And being able to lean on those in times of hardship and adversity has been really valuable for me. Because even if things get hard, I know that I'm not alone and I don't have to go through it alone. And I think sharing those experiences helps us all grow and grow closer as a community. That's really what I would say is hone in on your support networks. Know that you are the best version of yourself and 
that no one else can meet up to that and that there is value in the lived experiences that that people have to bring and we desperately need those representations in organizations as students and even there's power in the small things even if it's just a matter of you know educating someone who you know made a comment that was could have unintentionally been harmful i think there's a lot of value in that but you it's hard to do any of those things until you feel confident in yourself who you are and being authentic to the fullest i couldn't agree more you mentioned earlier that your goal is to ultimately pursue practice in the emergency department so what's your plan for the next couple of years what are you aiming to do yes i am strongly passionate about emergency medicine so i will be graduating in may of 2023 and after that i do plan to pursue a pgy1 and a pgy2 to specialize in emergency medicine. And additionally, I want to do some DEI work on the side just to help me grow professionally as a provider and what I can do for my patients in the emergency room. So, you know, HHP, we have actually focused on the issue of LGBTQ people and the residency match process. We Clay Daniels at St. Jude led an author team that provided guidance on how to really travel through the whole residency match experience as an LGBTQ person. We did a, an HHP Voices interview on this topic last year. And I'm just sort of wondering what your approach is going to be as you go into your interviews. How are you going to evaluate possible organizations and how are you going to navigate the path as you go through the interview process? Yeah, so for me, the institutions that I have been looking at, the first thing I look for is whether or not they have an inclusionary clause. Any kind of non-discrimination language and more preferably a specific statement that calls for the value and quite frankly protection of lgbtq people and if i'm going to spend you know a year potentially two years at an institution i want to go somewhere that they're going to value who i am and the lived experience that i bring and in making not only me a better provider but potentially you know bringing new views and ideas to where i'm going to be going for my residency i think it's kind of a mutual partnership but once again, I, I feel confident in who I am, and I would love to bring those lived experiences to another institution to not only learn from them, but hopefully they can learn from me. Are you going to make reference to some of the, the leadership successes that you've had in the LGBTQ space as you answer questions in the interview process? Yeah, I definitely plan to do that. Once again, I feel like it's not really good enough in this day and age to be on neutral ground when it comes to that, especially with the recent pop-ups of certain hate legislation. And for me, I'm very, very passionate about being the advocate. I'm very, very passionate about representing LGBTQ people. Once again, even if I don't identify as transgender, I think that there is value in allyship and being able to support, you know, all letters in our alphabet soup, if you will, but being able to support and represent in allyship 
a lot of the people within our community. And on that very important note, that's all the time we have today. Liv, best wishes for your P4 year and the residency match process. I want to thank Liv Splonger for joining me today to discuss her journey. Join us here at ASHP Official and the Practice Journey podcast as we learn more about how LGBTQ pharmacy leaders seek out, grow, and evolve during their careers. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your colleagues, family, friends, and via your social media of choice. And enjoy Pride 2022. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official. <laughs>